the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope um, your Saturday is going great and hope you had a wonderful week. And we pray that the Lord will bless the rest of this week and every week of your life to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, if you uh, listened to uh, this show last week, uh, I'm praying that you've been blessed by the fact that we had our dear brother Sam Shimon with us and we talked about the doctrine of the Trinity as a way to basically begin our comparison between this doctrine, uh, the biblical doctrine of the Trinity, that's why we are uh, basically Trinitarians, with the doctrine of Tawheed uh, that is basically proclaimed by Muslims and oftentimes even is proclaimed by uh, Unitarians, by the way. But uh, I'm going to leave this up to Sam to elaborate on that uh, particular topic. So with us again today, our dear brother Sam, who is an Islamic apologist, and a debater, uh, someone who writes uh, a lot in this uh, particular field, which is the field of Islamic apologetics and polemics. Uh, you can always go to uh, multiple websites where you can come across some of his uh, fabulous articles like AnsweringIslam.net and also another one, Answering-Islam.org. Not to mention going to YouTube, of course, and just Googling Sam Shamoun or even just use uh, Google in general and put the name Sam Shamoun and, and see... Uh, the wealth of information that will come out. Uh, so, Sam, thank you again, brother, for joining us uh, this week. Well, thank you for having me, and may the Lord Jesus Christ be magnified through us and use our meager efforts to magnify His name in all the world until we see every Muslim bow the knee and worship Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So, Amen. Thanks again. And by the way, uh, as you Google my name, also be clear, you're going to find a lot of Muslim websites attacking me, trying to discredit me, but that's the nature of apologetics. Absolutely. You're going to... You're going to get a lot of people upset, so when they can't refute you, they seek to slander you, discredit you, but hey, that's part of that's part of what we do, right? And, and our Lord Jesus is worthy, so praise His holy name. Amen, brother. Amen, brother. Uh, to the glory of our Lord. Um, so, brother, last week uh, uh, we really enjoyed, um, you know, uh, the brief teaching on such a wealthy topic, which is the doctrine of Trinity, and thank you for all the references that you've given our um, uh, listeners, and hopefully they will take you up on the offer to go to these websites you recommended, which I highly recommend that they do so if they really want to become more efficient and effective in engaging others in topics that are this deep, and we need to know the foundation we're standing on. So today, I'd like to really uh, switch the topic uh, to um, basically Tawheed. And uh, uh, wh why don't you uh, give us now a deeper uh, insight on this doctrine? Yeah. Obviously, I know about the doctrine, but I want the listeners to benefit from your engagement with Muslims. Yeah. As we said in the last show, the previous show, <clears throat> the Arabic word Tawheed comes from a root, Wahda, which literally means to unify. 
to unite, to bring together. So, ironically, the very term that the Muslims point to denote Unitarianism, because as we said in the previous show, the difference between the monotheism of Muslims and the monotheism of Christians is that they're Unitarians or Trinitarians. They believe that this one God, Allah, whom they believe to be the God of Abraham, is a singular consciousness, a singular person. And yet the word that they coined to denote this Unitarianism that they hold firm and believe was the message of all the prophets, actually it means to unite, unify, so that the word itself implies that there's a plurality of some sense within the very essence and being that they call God, the God of Abraham. So that's, that's the first irony, that the very root of the term points to a plurality and unity, a diversity and unity, not simply a singularity. A, a Muslim would have to agree, because from your background, <clears throat> you know this quite well, that although Muslims believe that Allah is one, they do not believe that his oneness precludes, excludes him from having a plurality of divine attributes, what you call the so-called 99 names of Allah, even though Muslim theology says that Allah has an infinite number of names, 99 of which they have cataloged. Catalog. So, notice again, although Allah is one, His oneness does not exclude Him from being a plurality of some kind, because His oneness includes, encompasses, the very fact of Allah possessing multiple attributes, multiple characteristics, multiple names. Right? So, some of these names actually conflict. For example, mercy and wrath. Right? Mercy is the opposite of wrath. So, but the whole point is, they believe that His unity includes, encompasses a plurality of some kind. So we then tell the Muslims, well, if God, Allah, can be one in a certain sense and more than one in another sense, without this violating the unity of God, why then would you object to Trinitarians' understanding that the one God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, although one in one sense, is more than one in another sense, and that plurality that God encompasses includes the plurality of divine persons? So, again, there's an inconsistency there. If their God can encompass a plurality of attributes and names and still be one, why then do they object to the fact that this one God also encompasses a plurality of divine persons in relationship? Well, the only reason why they reject that, Alan, you know this, is because they think the Quran denies the Trinity. They think the Quran denies that there's a plurality of divine persons that coexists as the one God. Now, notice I keep, keep saying they think, because in reality, if you read the Quran carefully, if you just take the Quran and read it, and do not read it through the lens of later Islamic theology, the Quran does not teach Unitarianism. And you know this, because we've discussed this in the past, just among ourselves, you know, we've had in-depth discussions. The Quran actually depicts a plurality of divine persons, such as Allah and His Spirit, which is ironic, because in the last show, we discussed the Holy Spirit's relationship to Yahweh, and demonstrated that although the Spirit of Yahweh is distinct from Yahweh, the Spirit is also identified as the divine person, possessing divine abilities, attributes, and characteristics. The Quran does the same thing. The Quran speaks of Allah and a spirit, the spirit of Allah. But it depicts Allah's spirit as a divine person, a divine agent, who's able to do things that only God can do. Now, can I give an example? Absolutely. Chapter 19 of the Quran, which you know is named Surah Al-Maryam, chapter of Mary, named after the blessed mother of our Lord, speaks of the Spirit appearing to Mary. Now, let me read this. Now, again, your audience needs to be careful what translation they will read, because sometimes the translations will obscure, will butcher what the Arabic says. Correct. So sometimes it's good to get what I call a transliteration of the Arabic, but even that won't help unless you at least understand 
what these Arabic words mean. So it's kind of difficult to sift through which translations are accurate, which translations are polemical, and will water down what the Quran actually does. And here's a case in point. Chapter 19, verses 16 to 19. Chapter 19, verses 16 to 19, it says this. And mentioned in the book Mary, when she withdrew from her people to an eastern place. This is speaking about the Blessed Mother of our Lord. When God announced to her, she is going to conceive, miraculously, the Messiah, Jesus, without sexual intercourse. Because Muslims, like Christians, affirm the virgin conception and birth of our Blessed Lord and Savior. So then it says, she took a veil apart from them. This is chapter 19, verse 17. Then we sent unto her our spirit. Now, some translations are going to butcher this and say, we sent to her our angel. In the Arabic text, as you can confirm, the word angel does not appear. It's ruach. We sent to her our ruach, which is the Arabic cognate of the Hebrew word ruach. Like you have in Hebrew, ruach hakodesh. That's right. The spirit that is holy. In Arabic, ruach is the Arabic equivalent of the Hebrew word ruach, and it means breath, spirit, and wind in Hebrew. In Arabic, it simply means spirit. Now, you can confirm the word is ruach, correct? That's right. That's correct. In fact, uh, one of the translation, Pekthal, for instance, he uses our spirit. Yes, our spirit. That's our spirit that presented himself to a man without fault. Now, notice Allah's spirit appeared in human form as a man, a perfect man, a man unblemished, meaning physically perfect. So Allah's spirit can appear in human form. Now, watch this. Mary, not knowing this was Allah's spirit, thinking it's the man who wanted to do something, cries out, I take refuge in the all-merciful from thee, if you fear Allah. He said, now notice the Spirit speaks. He said, I am a messenger, Rasul, from thy Lord. I am but a messenger from thy Lord to give thee a boy most pure. Now notice what the Spirit just said to Mary. Now again, let me further qualify by use of the Quran. I don't believe the Quran is God's word. Muslims believe it's the Word of God. So I'm using evidence from what they deem to be the Word of God to prove my position, Correct. because they accept these statements as authoritative. So I'm not quoting this because I believe in it. I believe it's historically accurate, it's divine. No. Muslims believe in it, so I'm using their own source of authority to make my case, because they cannot reject what their authority says if they're faithful to the Quran, right? That's correct. But notice what the Spirit says. I am but a messenger, a rasul, come from thy Lord, to give thee a boy most pure. So the Spirit says, I've come to give you a faultless son. So the Spirit is saying that Allah sent him to cause Mary to conceive life in the womb. So the Spirit is the creator of Jesus. So notice several things from this. <clears throat> the Spirit can... I think we lost Sam. Sam? Yes. I'm sorry, I thought we Hello? lost you. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so far are you with me, right? Yes. Okay, that's good, that's fine, because we're going to have some technical issues, but by the grace of Jesus, we press on. So notice, pay attention to this. The Spirit can speak and be spoken to. He's a person. The Spirit can appear in human form, and the Spirit creates life. Sure sounds like the Spirit is a divine person, able to perform divine functions, and at the same time, he's the messenger of Allah. So how many is that now? Yep, there is more than one person for sure. You're right, Allah and the Spirit, and the Spirit is the messenger of Allah. Correct. So here the Spirit is identified as the Creator. He's the one who will cause Mary to conceive life. So he's the Creator and life giver. But at the same time, he's the messenger of Allah, and he can speak and be spoken to and appear in human form. 
Truth sounds like the Spirit is a divine person in unity with Allah. Now, how did the Spirit cause Mary to get pregnant? Let me just take a few more minutes on this topic to demonstrate that the Quran testifies against Unitarianism. The Quran is not a Unitarian book. It is a book that affirms a plurality of divine persons, whether Muslims know it or not, whether Muslims like it or not. This is what their book teaches. Chapter 66, verse 12, the Quran. Chapter 66, verse 12, Book of Tahrim says, And Mary, the daughter of Imran, again, story about the mother of our Lord, who guarded her private part, who guarded her private part, and we breathe into it of our spirit. Now, Al, can I ask you a question? Yes. Why did Allah breathe his spirit into Mary's private part? Well, brother, it's uh, very graphic. Um, um, but why did he do it? What was the purpose? Not so much the graphic nature. Why did the spirit enter her body? Is to give birth uh, for our Lord. Oh. So, notice, it is the spirit who's causing yours to get pregnant, right? That's right. So the spirit enters her body, and somehow, in a miraculous fashion, without sexual intercourse, the Quran denies that Jesus was conceived through sexual union. It affirms the virginal virginal conception of birth of our Lord. So the Spirit enters Mary's virginal body and causes her to get pregnant miraculously. So the Spirit is creator and life-giver. Irony of irony. And then another example, just for the sake of time, another, another example, chapter 15 of the cross, verses 28 to 29, it says, Allah speaking to the angel says, I'm fashioning man from clay. And when I breathe into him of my spirit, fall prostrate to him. Notice here it says, after Allah creates man from clay, he's going to breathe his spirit into man. Why? Why is he breathing his spirit into the first man? To create. To animate his body, right? That's right. To make him a living soul? Yes. To make him a living being, correct? Yes. So notice, again, the Spirit is life-giver. If the Spirit did not enter the body of Adam, all Adam would be is inanimate clay. But the moment the Spirit enters Adam, Adam comes to life, showing that the Spirit is creator and life-giver. But catch another thing. Allah says He's going to breathe the Spirit into Adam, showing that the Spirit is an essential part of Allah because He originates from Allah, not from creation. Allah breathes them out. Yes, that's correct. I mean, it's amazing because those things, of course, jive with biblical theology. It's just, it seems like um, there is this progressive reinterpretation of the Quran. In fact, I would argue that Muslims really put themselves in even a tough predicament when they claim that now this spirit later is Gabriel. What are they insinuating now? Thank you. Thank you, because in later Islam theology, as you correctly noted, they identified the spirit as Gabriel, but in Islamic theology, Gabriel was a creature. That means they're ascribing divine attributes to a creature, making a creature a partner with Allah, committing the very sin that the Quran says will not be forgiven, the sin of shirk, the sin of association. So now notice the quandary they're in. If they say the spirit is Gabriel, that means Gabriel can create and give life, and Gabriel originates from Allah, so he's a part of Allah. So a creature is part of Allah's very being and essence. That means that you have a creature who is being associated with Allah in his divine attributes and glory. This is shirk. So do they want to commit shirk? Not only that, but uh, when uh, remember when we looked at the passage uh, in uh, 
uh, chapter 66, as if they're saying it's Gabriel who entered into her. I mean, what are they insinuating here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have problems. Because what Muhammad is doing is he's hearing Christians and Jews articulate what they believe, and he's taking some of the things they believe, garbling it up, making it part of his Quran, in order to entice them to follow them. In other words, Muhammad was smart, and I believe he was inspired by an unclean spirit. I don't mean to be offensive, but I have to speak the truth. I don't believe Muhammad simply made it up. I do believe he was under demonic influence. So I see this influence moving him to adopt certain Christian positions and theological beliefs, garbling it up, making it part of his message, in order to get Christians to follow him and believe that he's a true messenger. Because after all, which Christian would give him an audience if he denied the virgin birth? That's which right. Christian would give him an audience if he said Jesus is a false messiah? So he has to affirm certain things that Christians hold dear to get them to consider his message seriously, but then mix in the truth of what Christians believe with so much lies and falsehood that to then follow him is to be damned because that truth is being perverted by all the poison that Satan is influencing Muhammad to espouse. Amen. That's why we find so much truth in the Quran, because these are biblical truths. These are truths that God revealed that Muhammad is adopting as part of his message to entice people to lead people to consider him and his message seriously. Amen, brother. And I, I totally agree with you, and I keep telling people this sometimes, and they look at me like I'm saying something strange. Without a doubt, he did see something made him dedicate 23 years of his life going by the traditional dating of Islam. And therefore, yeah. we have to be very careful. Even our Lord warned us uh, of false prophets and false messiahs and warned us that Satan uh, have powers. And uh, therefore, we need to be mindful of the fact that if we're not in, uh, grounded in the Word of God, we can fall into temptations like this, no doubt about it. You know, brother, this is a deep topic, of course, and I would invite you to join me in uh, future episodes as well to continue digging deeper into this because I want our audience to benefit from your knowledge and all of these references. But in the, in the remaining uh, maybe five to six minutes, um, yes, yes. There is two pressing issues that I would like to expose it. Uh, one, uh, ha both has to do with the insider movement. I'm sure you're familiar with that. And uh, one of uh, those things is that the use of the Quran to lead to Christ as a Savior. And uh, I would like uh, maybe uh, any insight from you uh, on that. And also the remover of the familiar uh, terminologies like father and son from the scripture, and especially the focus on Jesus as the Son of God. Uh, if you think this is enough time to just make a quick comment, go for it. Yeah. Let me make a quick comment. There's a difference between my use of the Quran and trying to point to biblical truth that the Quran assumes and adopts as part of its message as a bridge to then seeing what the Bible has to say with the insider movement saying that you can say you're a Muslim, and say Muhammad is a prophet, and even say peace be upon him, and then denying biblical language. The differences between heaven and earth. I am not denying biblical language when I use the Quran to bring people to biblical truth. I still affirm the Father of God, the Sonship of Christ, and that Christ is the eternal beloved Son, even though I have to explain what these terms mean and do not mean, whereas in this movement they want to do away with what they consider to be offensive language to Muslims. Don't call them father. They get offended, it's misunderstood. Don't call them son. Well, then you're destroying the very heart, the very foundation, the very message of the Christian faith. Because the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How do you get, a, get around translating the fact that God shows his love by giving the world 
the one person that's most precious to his heart, his son. Amen. Now, how do you convey that message without using son language? You can't. And I'm not aware of any Muslim who would deliberately mistranslate the Quran in order to appease Christians. So why are we doing it? Exactly. Would a Muslim rewrite the Quran so that the message of the Quran more closely resembles biblical language, Christian language, in order to appease Christians and get them to become Muslims? Would they ever do that? Absolutely not. So then why would Christians butcher, <clears throat> shamelessly manhandle the Word of God to appease Muslims? Are we saying that the Muslims have more zeal for their God than we do for ours? And unfortunately, this plays right into the false theology of Muslims that the Bible is corrupt by man. Sure, because we're willing to tamper with it, play with it, mistranslate it, in order to deceive people to following this message. That's, right? That's correct. That's correct. But that doesn't work. That won't work, and we won't do that because we serve a God of truth, and this God is honored when we speak the truth in a loving manner, in a way that makes sense without butchering it, without watering it down, without compromising. God is not honored when we butcher the Word, change the Word to distort its message, and use deceptive methods to lead people to the one who is true. That's a contradiction. That's an oxymoron. How do you use deception to bring people to the truth? And it won't work. Okay. It won't work. It, it doesn't work at all, my friend. So, glory to God, praise the Lord Jesus, the method that I'm employing doesn't pervert the biblical language or the biblical teaching of who Jesus is. It may explain it in such a way that makes sense, but it still affirms the central message of the Gospel. Christ is the unique divine Son who always existed with the Father in intimate personal communion, who then came into the world as an expression of how much the Father loved the world that he gave the one person dearest to his heart for his salvation. That's the Gospel. You can't change that language without perverting the Gospel. Amen, and I'm, I'm uh, hoping, brother, that in the future we can also uh, spend some quality episodes on the divinity of Christ alone, Old Testament oh, and beautiful. New Testament. And not only that, what we need to do in the future is also show that the Quran Islamic tradition has deified Muhammad, thereby proving it's not Unitarian at all. Muhammad has been deified, as well as the divinity of the Quran. We didn't have time in this show, but Lord willing, in future shows, we need to also convey the fact that Islamic theology, the Quran, is the uncreated speech of Allah, so that it too is co-eternal with Allah, and yet distinct from Allah. So how can the Quran be co-eternal, beginningless, when it's distinct from Allah and not identical to Allah, and so he still be true? So these are the issues we need to raise up. Amen. Um, <laughs> any, any closing uh, comments, brother, that you can have uh, uh, for our... Uh, brothers and sisters who are listening to us, uh, and how to yes. apply uh, those wonderful lessons that you shared with us. My, my advice would be to the Christians listening, first know your faith. Know your Bible. Know what it teaches. Be convinced that the Bible is the inspired, authoritative, preserved Word of God. Have no doubt about it. Be grounded in the Bible. Live it out. Just Don't just know it. And pray that for us, for me and Al, that we not only know our faith, but live it passionately for the glory of Jesus, Live out your faith, then embark on studying Islam. It makes no sense for a Christian to saturate himself with the Quran and Islamic tradition if he or she is not grounded in the Scripture. You need to know your faith, and you need to live it for the glory of the Lord before you can know the faith of someone else. And then use that knowledge that God has given you to proclaim 
the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ so that you have a strong foundation, a sure foundation, and an unbreakable, impenetrable, immovable foundation, and that foundation being God's Word, the Scriptures, that you're planted on so that no one can snatch you out of the hands of the Lord Jesus. So know your faith, live it out, and proclaim it for the glory of Christ. That would be my advice for all Christians. Amen. Amen. Thanks again to everybody for listening to Let Us Reason on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Um, you've been listening to a uh, marvelous episode on comparing the doctrine of the Trinity to the doctrine of Tawhid, which is a Christian doctrine, that's the Trinity, to a primarily an Islamic doctrine, doctrine of Tawhid, with our dear brother Sam Shimon. I really encourage you to go to our archived episodes uh, of this show, and in particular last week's episode where me and Sam uh, began to discuss this. And also, Sam, I would like to invite you, brother, for multiple future episodes to continue our discussions about all of these topics that you uh, raised, because it's very important for our brothers and sisters to be empowered by the Word of God, to be able to defend our faith and share the truth in love. Amen. Thank you so much for everyone. And as always, you can go to our website, sierrainternational.com, uh, sierrainternational.com, and you can email me at alfadi at sierrainternational.com. Go and uh, listen to our previous episodes, interact with us on Facebook, and we look forward to uh, joining you again next week. Until then, God bless you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.